Hello and welcome. I'm Shane Parrish, and this is The Knowledge Project, the show that explores the ideas, methods, and mental models that help you expand your mind, discover your curiosity, and master the best of what other people have already figured out. Today's episode is a bit different than what we normally do. We're in the middle of summer, so I thought I'd experiment with a short version of our podcast. Normally, our podcast ranges from anywhere 45 minutes all the way up into two hours. Today's show is going to be a bit different. We're going to cut it down to 15 minutes. A full, unedited version is available for members of our learning community. If you're not a member, you can sign up at fs.blog tribe. Today's guest is Ali Amosai, the San Francisco-based author of An Illustrated Guide to Bad Arguments and Bad Choices. He's going to help us better understand our logical fallacies. Okay, let's dive in. ideas would you say you've kind of changed your mind on in the last few years that you maybe used to believe and you've updated or you you've significantly changed your algorithm for how you approach them you know i didn't really i I, when i first got into um uh, publishing i kind of fell into it because i i'd produced this um i put together this website uh, bad arguments and and then we talked about how it might work as a uh, as a book and then i went ahead and printed it as a book and i didn't realize that by shifting the medium uh, from uh, an, a website to a, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a book, that the audience would change for that project, and the ex- expectations would change, and all of a sudden the the connections with people would would uh, were different. Uh, it's much more active when you're when you're um, when there's a book in between you and and somebody else. So that's something I didn't quite re you know didn't quite know a lot about uh, four years ago, and I've come to appreciate and, and really enjoy uh, over the past few years. Um, I, I didn't realize that you know publishing, or I should say more generally, that you know the medium plays such a huge, uh, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's so important to, uh, uh, to kind of how you approach a problem, but also how you, uh, uh, you know, how, how you explain something and how you interact with various people. Um, so that's something I've, I've, I've grown, uh, you know, uh, I, I appreciate, I've, I've grown more appreciative of. I'm super curious. Can you expand on some of the things that changes maybe with the expectation or with the audience? How did the audience change? Yeah. So with a website, I mean, especially if you're coming from, say, an open source background, with a website, you put something out there and it's more often than not free. Uh, and then uh, someone comes across it. And if, if they like it, they like it. They might share it. And if they don't like it, uh, you know, one of two things can happen. Either they don't do anything or they might submit, uh, you know, a, a contribution to you. They'll say, I came across this particular thing that, I, that is not quite working or is not accurate and uh, you should fix it. Or better yet, here is the fix. So there is that kind of dynamic between the creator and, uh, and the audience. Uh, whereas with, so, and, and, and crucially, there is, uh, it's, it, the, the, pro, the, uh, the artifact is always a work in progress. Whereas I came to learn that with a book, uh, there is this uh, perception that a book is the culmination of, uh, you know, of an effort, and maybe rightfully so for historical reasons. That's that's how it's always been. But um, but uh, with uh, with bad arguments, for instance, I, I tried to break that model a bit uh, by uh, maintaining the open source uh, project. So there's the the book in print, and then there's the book online. And it was interesting to see kind of how uh, you know how that dynamic shifted and, and changed. Um, even the publisher who picked up the book in the beginning weren't too sure that it was going to work having these two projects, you know, side by side. But slowly, you know, there were people uh, buying the book, and then at the same time, there were people contributing to the book and, uh, you know, trying to improve it and and, and so on. Um, 
So, so, so even when I think of the uh, the second book on, on algorithms, um, I like to think of it as kind of one of several iterations that have occurred over the past few years. And it just so happens that this is one that was commercialized. But it, there's no stopping, uh, you know, others coming after it, you know, either by myself or by others and kind of building up on that idea. Do you think about going back and editing and revising it? Or do you continually think about moving on to the next project? I guess books are, are harder to go back. Yeah, I think I think with this one, uh, I might have reached the end of the road because I've spent three years on it. I was a bit pig-headed to begin with. I I tried something that didn't work. I tried something else. I think I spent like fifteen thousand dollars on it. Didn't quite work. I tried something else. Uh, so I think I've I've spent yeah about three years, or I had spent about three years on this project, and and I feel there's you know th- there is a, a point where you get diminishing returns, and I think that's kind of the point that I'm at right now. So I, I am looking. I am kind of con- currently working on um, uh, another project uh, that I'm hoping to uh, spend about six months on, and then maybe have it in draft form by the end of the year. What's that project? Can you talk about that? Yeah, I mean, it's still very nascent, so I don't have it. Uh, it's not really uh, developed or materialized or, or anything. But the the, the general concept is, uh, uh, or the theme is empathy. You know, how can we explain? How can we? Yeah, how do you convey empathy in a way that's not been done before? So you find attempts at at doing that in various children's books. There are, um, uh, you know, various people have done research on the topic and have, in some cases, published books. So I thought of just taking all that material and seeing if there's some something else that could be done with that. It's interesting, kind of the dichotomy between algorithmic thinking and empathy. Um, you know, because we don't presume that algorithms have any empathy and it's just kind of raw, rational horsepower versus uh, considering more angles or the other person's perspectives like we would with an empathetic point of view. Absolutely. I mean, that's a great connection. Uh, uh, and also, I mean, you see it all, uh, in other places as well, uh, in, in design and coding. Uh, anytime you're thinking about the audience, right, or considering who the audience might be, or whether this particular control that you've designed on screen is something that somebody could use without much struggle, you know, that's that's a manifestation of empathy. So I think you see, yeah, it's not only the obvious uh, definition of you know somebody not bullying somebody else or kind of uh, you know giving someone their lunch money or, or so on, but also I think you see it in all other kinds of fields as well. How would you define empathy as a as a broad category? I think I would say again, it's um, it all depends on your vantage and your circumstances and where you're coming from. But I think one way is to um, uh, is to is to recognize people. I think um, uh, so. So one idea I had for this project that I don't think is going to work, but it's something I had early on, was to have a book where uh, the character of interest is not the protagonist, but is somebody else in the background. So you you follow the story to the very end, and then you uh, and then you find out at the end that this that the story is actually about the secondary character that you can only barely see in the background. So I think that's part of empathy is kind of recognizing uh, people and things that are not always uh, easily recognizable or, or seen or acknowledged. Um, but uh, yeah, doing that and also um, not being too focused on on the obvious, um, kind of having more heart when looking at the world. And uh, yeah, those are all factors that I think play play into it. I wish you well with that mission. How would you kind of go about teaching empathy to people? I like this category of books where it, it looks like it's for a, you know, it, it looks like the book is for a, a, a child, but actually it's for an adult. So that's mm-hmm. kind of the approach that I've taken with the previous two 
or three projects. And I think I would like to uh, kind of stay in that category and see if we can do something within the same framework with, with, this, uh, with this new idea. Um, and I think it's, it's very effective when you combine illustrations and, and prose and uh, kind of the, the physical packaging of the product. Um, it's, it's, it's not only been enjoyable for me to kind of work with, with those various components, but I think they also, they also are very effective. It's, it's a good way to reach various people um, and uh, people still go to bookshops. So that's, that's good. Yeah, for now. Hopefully it continues that way. Would, <laughs> would you describe yourself as a very habitual person? As in, I uh, have routines, daily routines and so on. Yeah, almost like an algorithm for life. You know, it depends. With some things, I am. Um, I'm very respective of time. I try to be very. Um, uh, I try to have my my time planned out. Uh, planned out. And if uh, if I'm meeting with someone, I'm I'm, I'm there on the dot. Um, if I am, uh, uh, if I want to get something done, I'll impose deadlines on myself. Um, but then with other things, not so much. So if I'm going out for a walk, I'll just go out for a walk and it could be, uh, could be half an hour. It could be an hour and a half. Um, so it depends. I say on, on, it, it, it depends. What would you say, um, the smallest habit that you have that has the biggest leverage or po- most positively impacts your life? Uh, well, I would say again, time, respect for time is, is hugely important because once you, um, I mean, it's it's a finite resource, and we don't realize it sometimes until it's too late, right? Either we fall sick, and then we uh, we realize it, or something changes in our life, or we switch jobs, or we you know something happens with family. But I think just just time, being being cognizant of time, how much time there is in the day, uh, you know, how many hours you've spent on various things, that helps a lot. Uh, at least it's been useful for me. Can we geek out on that for a second? Like, how does that manifest itself in how you live your life? So for me, for instance, um, you know, again, uh, I get up in the morning, um, uh, I get on the train, it's about an hour to, uh, to the office. And, you know, what do you do in that hour? Uh, you could just watch YouTube videos, uh, you could do nothing, um, you could listen to an audiobook. These are all, de- all decisions that you have, to, uh, you have to make. And it could be the case that sometimes the audiobook is the most uh, effective thing for that day, or it could be the case that just looking out the window is the most effective thing, and that's been the case for me sometimes. Or maybe just, uh, you know, just uh, uh, listening to what everybody else is talking about in the, uh, uh, in the cabin. Um, so I think, yeah, so, so you have that one hour, and then you, have, you make a decision about what you do in that one hour. And, and how is it affecting everything else that might come in that day? So for me, for instance, I have this, uh, this side project about empathy uh, t- that's top of mind. And so when I'm sitting on the train, that's, that's the only thing that I'm thinking about. Um, I'm thinking about what can I do right now that will bring me closer to um, that draft that I would like to have ready in six months' time. And, um, and again, it could be something obvious like sketching a scene on a piece of paper or the back of a, you know, my notebook or something. Or it could be just you know, looking at people and seeing how they interact with each other, um, how people get off the train, how they get on the train, how they sit next to each other, what kind of small talk goes on between them when they're doing that. Um, just, just various things. But the, it's, I try to keep, keep all those observations and um, my thinking focused on whatever the short-term goal is. Do you have a notebook that you carry around with you? Like, how do you keep track of all these thoughts? I do. Yeah, I do have a notebook, and I much I, I prefer writing in a notebook than uh, on a computer. And do you review the notebook, or do you just write your thoughts and then kind of go back to it if you're triggered, or like, how does that process work? How does it get from your your brain to your notebook into uh, your writing or your thinking or updating your algorithms? 
Yeah, I do. I go through my notebook all the time. And it's it's always nice going through older notes because often you find that you wrote down a lot, a lot of things that didn't make sense at the time. But now, you know, because of a, a change in context or different circumstances, all of a sudden that idea that you had three years ago, you know, takes on a different form. So I do go through my notes. Uh, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, regularly, but I don't know how frequently. But it, it, there is this constant going back and seeing what, what I wrote before, how applicable it is to uh, to what I'm doing right now. How would your thinking change if you listened to a piece of music and you found out afterwards it was constructed by an algorithm just for you? <laughs> well, the first question I would ask is, you know, where what are the inputs to that uh, algorithm? Um, uh, you know, and, and how did it get access to uh, to those inputs? Uh, because because obviously when you're trying to create a summary of a profile, which is me in this case, uh, you, you can't rely on all the all, on all the inputs that are available. You kind of pick and choose. So I'd be interested in, in kind of knowing what are the things that summarize me because I still don't know who I am. And, and I, I don't think anyone does. I mean, but you kind of know various facets of, your, uh, of yourself. So I'd be interested in, in knowing how the algorithm picked those facets or if somebody picked them, what the basis for that was. Um, and then also, I think there is a kind of a softer uh, uh, kind of thing that I would uh, I would consider, and that is, you know, do I like the piece of music? And if I do, what does that say about me or the algorithm? Um, but yeah, I'd be um, I, I I I can't quite remember right now, but I think I've come across some someone or somebody or some group of people working on something like that. So it's um, yeah. It doesn't seem too far-fetched to think that, you know, the world in some not-so-distant future will take the same kind of base and tailor it to things that we like or dislike based on our past history of liking and disliking to give us more of what what the algorithm, I guess, uh, thinks that we want. And in that, I mean, we lose some sort of serendipity and we lose... Uh, there, there's costs, I guess, to that sort of approach. Do you worry about how much data we're leaving online and... Uh, what that says about us or what companies will think that it says about us and how that will change the future. I mean, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's the problem. Um, I remember I, I used to work for a company where, uh, where their, um, their, their kind of, their slogan was that we care about the user's privacy and that's, and they, they valued privacy over everything else, including, you know, features and, uh, the ability to acquire data and, and so on. And then they discovered after uh, you know many many years that the user the user doesn't care a lot about privacy. You know we live in a in a time where we post stuff on Instagram, we post stuff on Facebook. A lot of it is personal stuff and photos. And so there there's been a shift in how we 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 view uh, uh, things that were in the past super private, right? You'd never share a picture of your say of yourself with 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 friends maybe or with family members or or maybe there was some other stuff that you would never put online. But now it's it's all fair game. I mean you're, you're putting it out there. On your LinkedIn profile, on Facebook, on on Twitter, on Instagram, and Twitter is the worst because you have this constant stream of updates that uh, people are sharing, and sometimes you don't recognize how much you're revealing uh, uh, in those places. But at the same time, you are benefiting from those uh, from sharing those, and that's why people do them, right? You get likes, and that makes you feel good. Uh, you get retweets, you you get connections to various people that you wouldn't have otherwise, uh, you know, uh, come across. So there is there is a cost, as you say, and and I think the the question should be is that cost worth it? Um, and for some people, they decide that it's not worth it, so they're not on any of those platforms. And for some people, they decide that there is there is no cost, so they they go all out on those platforms. And then I think for for a lot of people, they're somewhere in between where they they you know they consciously decide what to post on these various platforms. Um, 
and uh, and and yeah, and I think it depends on the uh, it depends on the person. Where on that continuum do you fall? You know, I'm fairly uh, I'm fairly introverted. I'm not very um, I'm not not particularly active when it comes to uh, sharing stuff. So I think if yeah, I I, I I usually post things that have to do with projects rather than with me. So uh, on 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 Twitter, Instagram, I think there are some photos that I've taken on the road on Instagram, but otherwise, it's mostly to do with any output that I have that I think is of interesting. But I have to say, even even for me, I've not quite cracked those uh, uh, those platforms, or maybe I'm not the the target audience for them because uh, I don't I don't quite I'm, I'm not quite excited by I'm not really excited by uh, by the thought of sharing things and uh, and kind of being always in the under the spotlight. I much prefer uh, you know spending a year working on something in the dark and then kind of presenting it after that and then seeing how it's uh, p- perceived and uh, how we can improve it, and then going back for another year, and then working on something else, and then coming back. So, so for that type of person, I think uh, social media is a bit challenging. Um, but again, you know, there are a few people I, I follow who are brilliant at kind of dis- you know sharing information and and being very uh, you know useful and uh, interesting. And I, it, it all depends on on your personality, I suppose. I like that. It sounds like you're more professional, less personal, and that maps to how you are as a person. Um, I want to end with a philosophical question, which is if you could have everybody in the world have a topic that they discussed over dinner on any given day, say Sunday, what would that topic be? And what would the question, the leading question or the first question that you think everybody should uh, start with? That's a tough one. Yeah, I think the question that you, the question that you asked me earlier is uh, is one that that gave me uh, you know some pause. I think it would be useful to ask, and that's uh, what's one thing that you changed your your mind about uh, today or this past week. Uh, it's it's not easy to change uh, to change your mind. It turns out uh, because you know for various reasons um, uh, we we kind of it becomes part of our identity sometimes our thoughts. So it's you know, separating ourselves from our thoughts is not always uh, that easy. So I would ask, uh, what is one thing that you uh, over the past week, maybe you that you changed your uh, that you changed your mind on. I would agree with that. I mean, uh, I asked the question, so I, <laughs> I think it's a great question. Ali, listen, uh, this has been uh, this has been a great interview, great conversation. I want to thank you for your time and thanks for coming on the show. Absolutely, thank you for having me. Hey guys, this is uh, Shane again. Just a few more things before we wrap up. You can find show notes at farnamstreetblog.com slash podcast. That's F-A-R-N-A-M-S-T-R-E-E-T-B-L-O-G dot com slash podcast. You can also find information there on how to get a transcript. And if you'd like to receive a weekly email from me filled with all sorts of brain food, go to farnamstreetblog.com slash newsletter. This is all the good stuff I've found on the web that week that I've read and shared with close friends, books I'm reading, and so much more. Thank you for listening.